Hello and welcome to the stories that brought you here, a podcast dedicated to the people living in and around the Salish Sea. I'm your host, Chris Wakalek, and it's my pleasure to get to sit down in one-on-one conversations with people to hear the stories that brought them to this beautiful part of the world we live in, and to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. This time around, I'm going to be speaking with Catherine Calder. Now, I think many of you are going to know Catherine as a member of the band The New Pornographers. But what a number of you may not know is that between 2019 and 2021, Catherine was the city of Victoria's artist-in-residence. In this interview, she's going to explain the experiences that she had in that role and a number of the creative projects that she came up with for that community. As well, she will describe how she got involved in music in a very early age, which eventually led to her and two other bandmates forming the Victoria-based band Immaculate Machine. She'll talk about those early years of touring and recording, and then detail the amazing story about how an unknown family connection led to her being asked to join the band The New Pornographers in the mid-2000s, which changed her life. It's a very amazing story told by a really wonderful person. I'm really thankful that Catherine agreed to do this interview. This is the first interview I've done on Zoom. All of them up until this point have been in person, but Catherine, being a relatively new mother, was able to carve out some time in her schedule late in the day to do this, and it was a real treat. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, there's a lot of different ways to follow along with future episodes. You can join the Facebook page, which is the stories that brought you here. I'm also on Twitter, at Stories Brought. And you can also listen on YouTube. The page name for that is The Stories That Brought You Here. All the links for those you can find in the show notes. And I'd also like to mention that this podcast is sponsored by the 2023 Trees and Transformation Calendar, made by my lovely wife, Jenova Jacobs. For a number of years now, my wife has been making colorful calendars, with each month having an original work of art relating to and representing that month. How she's described this calendar this year is be inspired throughout the year by the vitality, strength, and stability of trees as you grow, change, and evolve through another transformative year. Each month comes on its own individual sheet of paper, so you can hang 12 months at a time as some people do on their wall, or one at a time, or three at a time on our fridge as we do at home. A purchase of these calendars is not just going to be able to give you the ability to know what day it is, it's also going to go to help support this podcast. So if you like what I do here and you enjoy having some beautiful art, you can go to genevajacobsart.com and purchase a calendar there. So again, that's Geneva Jacobs Art. And if you click on the word shop on that page, or the easier way to do it is through a link in the description down below. So now it's time for a little bit of music and then my interview with Catherine Calder. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I always love to give perspective to the audience as to what is going on. So it's it's eight o'clock at night on the uh, the first Sunday of November, which means the time change happened today, which means it's really nine o'clock at night. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, it's the latest I've ever done a podcast, and uh, yeah, how is how how me are you too. doing? Uh, me too, actually. It is it is the latest, but I appreciate it because. The baby is in bed and I have some time. So this is what we do as parents to make it all work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How was your day today so far? It was great, actually. I had a really great day. I saw some friends last night and just really, really had kind of a relaxing day for the most part. Just like errands and doing things. That's nothing to report that was very exciting, but a lovely, relaxing Sunday. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what Sundays are for, for relaxing and for errands. Definitely. So what I'd love to get to in this podcast, so the audience knows is that I really want to talk about your time as being the artist in residence for Victoria for two years. Mm -hmm. But we're going to take a a slow road to get there. And this podcast is called The Stories That Brought You Here. And we always open up with the traditional first question of what brought you to where you are. And that is Vancouver Island. So, Catherine, what brought you to Vancouver Island? I was born on Vancouver Island. And my parents, uh, my dad grew up here too. But my mom moved from Alberta to go to university. And um, that's where they met. And 
yeah, they were both teachers in Victoria. And then they have my brother and I, and we were both still here. We went, we spent a few years in Europe as a kid, when I was a kid. But other than that, I, you know, lived in Victoria. Okay. And were they high school teachers or university elementary teachers? school teachers? My mom was an elementary school teacher as well, too. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you didn't go to a school where they taught you and your brother, I hope. Um, we actually did when I was in Europe, but that was because it was an international school. And so we definitely did go to school where my dad taught. Yeah. Okay. Well, how, how was that? How was that experience? Um, well, it was, it was um, hit and miss. I was actually in my dad's class when I was in grade six. And that I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> I chose it, though. I chose my, my own torture there because I thought it would be fun to be in my dad's class and see him as a teacher. Yeah. Because I'd always seen him just as dad. And then it turned out it actually wasn't that great of a, an experience. And I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Okay. All right. So was it just you or did your brother have a shared experience like that? No, or? my brother didn't choose to do that. No, he, he chose the other grade six teacher. Yeah. When he was in grade six. So he had a different experience than I did. And I just out of curiosity, because uh, that's how I roll in this podcast is I hear mm -hmm. things and I think, oh, well, this is interesting. So what made your family decide to uproot from Victoria and go into Europe? You know, I don't know the the motivation aside from it was probably somewhat of an adventurous idea. Like they were kind of, you know, I think my dad was drawn to the idea partly because um, I my aunt and uncle played in the orchestra in the Netherlands. And so they were already there. They were also, um, my uncle is also from Victoria, but him and my aunt moved to the Netherlands. And so I don't know like what made my parents interested in applying for the position that my dad eventually did apply to like why but it was a job through the department of national defense and it was a job it was a civilian job but it was through the military and so he was a teacher at a high school in a town where there was a nato base or a nato something nato oh. <laughs> you know like a building a uh had, like had like offices Okay, let's call it offices for sure. Let's call it offices. It might be a okay. base. Might have been okay. a base. There were American bases, uh, which is where we did a lot of our shopping at the American base. We also did it in the Netherlands, like in the town that we lived in, of course, because we lived in a town. But there were bases in Germany. And so my friends were kind of like either living in Germany or living in the Netherlands, depending on we were really close to the border between Germany and the Netherlands. So when I saw like my best friend, she lived in Germany. <laughs> And it was like a 15 minute drive. So it was it was like kind of a, like a crazy and cool experience. And um, so my dad, we did that for three years. Um, we lived in the Netherlands and I went to this international school for the armed forces, kids in the armed forces. It's interesting that at that time, if if we are at that age and we wind up moving schools, it can be really disruptive to our personal lives. Like we leave friends behind and it's a little bit of a challenge. Did you, did you face that yourself? You know, I was mostly excited. I was eight or I guess I was turning nine when we first, we, we moved. And so I was just really excited to go to Europe. Like I didn't even really understand what that meant. Of course, like just moving to Europe. What does that mean? Do you know, to an eight or nine year old? I don't know. Like it's just words, I think, <laughs> you know, but we were moving and our house was, you know, getting em emptied and we were yeah, packing up all our stuff and moving to a new country. And so it was exciting. It was an exciting time. And then, yeah, it was like definitely tricky integrating into a new social circle. But at the same time, um, there was a built-in community there because there were other teachers like my dad who had moved from Canada. So there was like a Canadian contingent that was living there and doing the same thing. And so that's where I ended up meeting some of my friends through this community that was already kind of built in um, for families moving. And then plus, it was like, you know, military families. So they're all moving around all the time. So it was... A, it was um, it wasn't like I was moving to a school where the kids had been all friends for, you know, 10 years already or, you know, I mean, that's not how that math works. But, you know, five years, um, I was moving to a school where there were new kids coming and leaving, you know, kids leaving all the time. So it was like, it was, it was a mix because of course, yeah, like I was leaving my best friends behind 
And when I came back, all of those friends that I'd had, we were one group when I left in grade three. And then when I came back, everybody was had been in different classes for years and like friends were in different, you know, I was like, oh, you are now friends, you know, like I had to reorient myself back to my old school, you know, that I came back to when I came back to Victoria. And, you know, everybody had new friends. And it was, you know, and then I made new friends. Kids, kids do make friends, you know? Yeah. Totally, totally. It would, it would be so uh, uncomfortable if we didn't. <laughs> Life would be so much harder if we, yes. if, we, if nobody made friends. But yeah, I'll, like thankfully, you know, kids kids do make friends. Yeah, I mean, probably not everybody, but you know, yeah, a lot of kids do. Yeah. So, and when you returned to Victoria after that time away, were you happy to be home? Well, it was bittersweet because I left some very good friends behind in the Netherlands who were actually from the Netherlands and were not, you know, military. So there were a few really good friends that I had that I was very sad to leave because now I was 11 or 12. And that's a little bit of a different, that's a different age than eight, you know, but I was also excited to come home. And, you know, I think I just, ro- I just roll with it. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so a lot of people know you as somebody who has a, a career in music. And so, at that age, were you developing a passion for music or did that come before? Music, I think it was um, something that I just always did and didn't think of that much about um, until I was a little bit older. So I was kind of a precocious youngster and young kid. And so I um, took, you know, was in piano and I was in choirs. And so I was singing lots and, and playing piano and you know, performing and doing recitals and all the things that come with uh, learning to play an instrument. And so uh, that is how I got into music was just by my parents were both piano players, uh, beautiful piano players. Uh, And then my, you know, my aunt and uncle, like I mentioned, they were orchestra musicians. So like, it's very much like in the family. And um, yeah, so I did a lot of music as a kid and not that seriously. I mean, I was, I liked it and I, you know, it came naturally to me, but it was just something that I enjoyed doing. It wasn't a a plan from a young age to go into music. It was a plain piano that came naturally to you? Yeah. Me, I mean, music in general. Yeah. Like it just sort of like, it was how, is how my brain works is how I put it. You know, it's nice. just sort of like something that makes sense to me and it always came easily you know i didn't struggle particularly with it and i enjoyed learning i enjoyed practicing i enjoyed like pretty much everything about it <laughs> lucky you i've been trying to play the guitar for about 30 years now and i still can't do it so <laughs> <laughs> well not every instrument <laughs> you know i just did piano and voice really and I'm I'm like you on the guitar. I still I still am learning. <laughs> I don't know about that. I saw you play a few months ago on Pender, and uh, it, it looked pretty good to me. Thanks, thank you. You're, you're welcome. I'm, I'm really curious about how your musical career started to take off for you, because you, you talk about music coming naturally to you, and you enjoying it, and then of course you developed a career in it. I was just wondering if you could take us through a bit of the timeline as to um, when it, it transitioned from something that was just a hobby and being fun into something that became professional for you. Yeah. So I think that a, a sort of a significant, maybe a significant starting point or turning point was when I was about 16 or 17, I, I went to Vic High in Victoria and they had like a pretty cool program called um, what was like uh, the Vic High R&B band, the Rhythm and Blues band. Okay. And I auditioned for that as a trumpet player, which is very odd because um, I did play trumpet, but I realized when I got to high school for trumpet that I was in way over my head on the trumpet. Like the trumpet lines in those like Motown songs are <laughs> like so high and amazing and so hard. So I immediately was like, whoa, I can't do this. I'm going to, I'm going to try out and be a singer. And so I joined in grade 11, this band. And I met some of my future bandmates um, in a in a band that we formed together called Immaculate Machine. And that that's where I met um, my friends, Brooke and Luke. And we started a band 
and we played a lot for a long time and we put out a lot of records on our own self-released records and and did a lot of touring around Canada and a little bit of touring like later on through the states just out of like just sheer kind of like let's go and do it our first just to give you an example like our first tour that we ever did we borrowed Brooks parents Volkswagen van and we started in Victoria and we didn't have a show until Thunder Bay. And Whoa. So we drove all the way because nobody would book us because we had no fans. And so we camped all the way to Thunder Bay and played a show at the Apollo um, in Thunder Bay, which is kind of a well-known venue. I'm not sure if it's there anymore still or if it's still going, but it was, a, you know, a well-known venue for kind of like touring bands. And and then we played, I think we played, we might have played Toronto on that tour. And um, like immediately when we arrived in Toronto, we met Owen Pallet from, um, well, Owen. Do you know Owen? Do you know what I mean when I say? Is it uh, not fi- is Final, it Final Fantasy? Fantasy? Yeah. 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 I, remember, I, I saw him in a great show in uh, Regina. It stands yeah. out as a, as a very memorable night in my life, actually. So, yes, I do know Owen Pallet. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. We met Owen and he was incredible. And we just had this experience in Toronto where we immediately arrived and had this incredible experience with like meeting like all these great people and having this like amazing show. And, and we decided that we needed to go back to Toronto. And so we did. Anyway, the point of that story was the very long drive between Victoria to Thunder Bay. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's a long way to go to do a show. But um... yeah, we were determined. We were determined to just go. And so anyway, we built this like career for ourselves, this little, you know, with Immaculate Machine. And there was a show that we played with um, do you, the, the Evaporators. So do you know Nardwar? The of course. Yeah, yeah. Yes. OK, so his band, his punk rock band is called The Evaporators. And um, the bass player in the Evaporators is John Collins, and John Collins also plays in the New Pornographers and produces the New Pornographers records. And so Immaculate Machine played a gig with the Evaporators, and so I met John. And another okay, so then sidebar, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. Um, my mother, when she was a baby, was put up for adoption. And when she was in her 40s, she found her birth parents, her birth mom, her birth mother, and her birth mother, Irene, had had a family, like, you know, five other kids since my giving my mom up for adoption. And the youngest of those kids was Carl Newman from the New Pornographers. Eventually became, you know, became Carl Newman from the New Pornographers. So I am Carl's niece in this kind of adoption, you know, I'm like half niece. And so John, who's also in the new pornographers came up to me and said, hello. And I said, Oh, um, do you know Carl Newman? Because I'm his niece. And the way it was, it was so awkward when I asked, because of course he knows Carl because he's in a band with Carl. Right. You know, it was like sort of ridiculous. Like, do you know Carl? You know, you're you're in the New Progress. Do you know Carl? And he was like, well, yeah, yeah, I know Carl. And I was like, oh, well, I'm his niece. And and so he met and he he met me that night and he saw me play and he kind of he went back to Vancouver and you know he apparently like, so the story goes I wasn't obviously there for that but you know he mentioned to Carl that he met me and that you know he really liked the band and he thought I was great and. They were looking for somebody to take on singing duties while Nico, if Nico was busy for some shows, Nico Case is also in the New Pornographers and she also has her own solo career, just for anybody who doesn't know the context. So they were looking for somebody to fill in for Nico when Nico was busy with her solo records and solo career, which was also very successful. And so they asked me if I wanted to join the band. And come and sing on uh, a record, the record Twin Cinema, which was uh, in 2005. So it was a bit of a long arc and not linear, particularly all these like kind of developments that happened through 
just meeting people and Anyway, so I've been in the new pornographers for a long time now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Almost 20 years. Yeah. Wow. So I, I just want to go back to that first tour that you and your bandmates went on from Immaculate Machine. How old were the three of you when that happened? We had just graduated, so we must have been 18. And so... 18, I'm, 19, and 20, because they were older than I was. Yeah. Okay. And I'm always really curious about this because uh, the the difference between getting up and going and doing something like that versus not is huge. And yes. and and so many amazing magical things can happen if you say yes to things in life versus not. But can you remember what it was that the three of you how you came to that decision that you were going to go and do something like that? Was it just youthful enthusiasm? Was it your personalities? Was it that you felt like that you had a strong bond between the three of you musically and you had something to offer? Uh, what do you think it was? I don't know. I think that we all must have been, I guess we must have been fairly ambitious. We kind of grew, grew into it. I don't know. I don't remember who had the idea. I know that uh, Brooke, guitarist, singer, and songwriter in, in Immaculate Machine, like he... We all sang, we all played instruments, and we all song wrote. But he definitely did a lot of the legwork on booking shows. He was really interested in in that part of it and going on tour and and yeah. So he did a lot of he did a lot of that work, and we were totally on board to go and do it. And I don't know, I don't know how we did it. It just seemed like a good idea, and we had no expectations and so we just went for it how how do you look back at that time in your life right now that you're 20 plus years from from that time i would imagine you look back at that quite fondly but uh, i'll let you answer the question how how do how when you, when you reflect on those experiences what uh, what feelings do you have about those those years well i mean i think that there was just so much camping that we did that really amuses me you know like there was just so many things i think the things that i remember are the little things like going to the grocery store and buying just food for wraps all the time we just ate so many wraps on those tours because you know when you're 18 19 you don't really have a ton of money and so you're just trying to make it all work and have gas money and and go and you so you're not really eating at restaurants you know you're not staying in hotels you're camping in the van you're sleeping i remember sleeping on the bench in the volkswagen van <clears throat> in the van on the bottom with my feet up on like the kick drum you know, just like sleeping on the gear because there was not enough beds in, in a Volkswagen van for three people, but there were just enough to fit three people like in the van if one person's kind of slept on the ground. Like, you know what I mean? It was just we were constantly doing stuff like that. And um, so th that's mostly what I remember is it was like scrappy, you know. <laughs> Good word. Scrappy. I haven't heard that <laughs> word in ages. I like it. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. And so those those first maybe let's say three, four years or so, did that continue to look the same way what you're describing or did things start to really kind of take off for you guys? Yeah, we started to play. Um, we did a lot of staying at people's houses after at a certain point and we did a lot of touring. Um, we started having shows where people were coming to see us play. And that's a really big turning point for a band from the feeling like you're sort of begging people to come to see you, you know, or like you've got your five friends that are like really like your band and want to come and hang out, you know, and support to having people you don't know come and pay money to see you, whatever the ticket price, even if it was a small ticket price, it was still significant. And so that, yeah, like we had some really crazy shows that uh, I remember we played a show in Halifax that was in an, I, I don't remember the space. It's a really long time ago, but I just remember the cops coming, the cops being called. And because I guess it was in an art space as, as those art spaces are, they're not, they're in like residential neighborhoods. And there were a lot of people like, you know, to a, a lot of people to us, you know, like um maybe a hundred people in this art space and it was overflowing onto the street and it was loud and we were playing and then the police came and it was like a dramatic and exciting kind of like show that we had. And I also remember 
through kind of mutual friends, not even through music, we ended up meeting some of the guys from the Constantines who were an extremely popular band in Canada at the time or were quite a popular band. And so we we were able to support them like in their show in Victoria. And that was also like a huge, we felt that was just like a huge opportunity at um, a venue that is no longer around, just closed actually. Logan's, if you remember. I do know Logan's. Yeah, it closed recently. Eh? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we, we opened for... Yeah, um, the Constantines. And and so we just had this, we just built up from doing so much touring and going back and forth across the country a lot. And then we lived in Toronto for six months. We purposefully made our home base there. We we were house sitting for, you know, friends of the family, like one of our families. And, and so we had like a, a house that we could, with a basement that we rehearsed in. And then we would stay in Toronto and then go to Halifax and back and Halifax and back and Halifax and back. And, and, um, we weren't in school at this point. So we were mid twenties and yeah. So that was how we did it. I think it's really illuminating for people to hear these stories because I generally think that people have the impression that, Oh wow. Somebody plays in a band and they're a musician and everything's pretty cruisy, but it's anything but. (laughs) <laughs> it's definitely I mean we had a great time and especially when you're you know in your 20s but yeah it certainly was it was challenging because you know you're you're driving a lot you're you're doing a lot of work to um try and make something go and that's always always a lot of energy that you're putting into something and that you never know if it's going to kind of work out or not but we did have a good time and we have some like great stories and we were really good friends and still are nice and made a lot of a lot of really great friends too like in the canadian music world i'm i'm still running into people uh, who i met while immaculate machine was touring canada you know just from like oh hey yeah like we met a long time ago it's been a really long time it's nice to see you kind of thing you know would you call the canadian music world a pretty small world well yeah it is yeah i would say it's very it's small as far as once you kind of get to know people in it, it becomes very small. Yeah. Sure. Um, and I, I just want to quickly ask as well, too, about what happened with uh, your time with the new photographers as well, too, because with what you described about the situation with your mom finding out that she was adopted and, and finding out uh, who her birth mother was and then the connection between her and Carl Newman and then your obvious connection being related to your mom as her daughter. So how did that situation wind up affecting your life in terms of being asked to be part of the band and and what happened from there? Well, I would say uh, a substantial impact <laughs> on my life. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, I'm in a band with my uncle, so I'm with family. And that's a kind of a special, it's like a kind of a neat relationship, I think. Because I I spend a lot of time with Carl when we're on tour, and I wouldn't know him nearly as well if we weren't in a band together, of course, right? And when I joined the New Pornographers, they already had fans. They were already kind of taking off, had taken off, had this critical acclaim in America. And so I hopped off the scrappy tour van. And onto a tour bus with the new pornographers, you know, like I like I went from Immaculate Machine tours, and then I I went to um, new pornographers tour bus, and my third gig was to ten thousand people in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. That was my third gig with the new pornographers, so it was like really just throw you in there, and here you go, you know, like and they they were surprised by that too. Like that was that was a, a huge crowd for for the band too at that time, so. It was all very exciting for everybody. And yeah, so it was a crazy experience to be kind of flown into New York to do these shows. There was a, yeah, like a run of about five dates that was a little bit of like my trial run in June of 20, um, 2005. And it was such a blur. I like, I can barely even remember it. But again, little things stick out like, you know, doing karaoke in Manhattan and, um, yeah, like performing these shows where 
I was nervous because Nico wasn't there and the band was a little nervous because Nico wasn't there and nobody really knew whether that was going to be okay or not, you know, but, but they were trying it because they wanted to tour and they wanted to get out and get the record out and tour it. And we did some shows with Nico too, but yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was just kind of a wild time. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What you're describing actually sounds super movie worthy to me. Yeah, like it's like a yeah, yeah, like just like young girl like <laughs> put into this band and and like you know um, trial by fire. And things obviously worked out. And things worked out great. Yeah, things worked out great. People were really kind and supportive, and people just wanted to see the band, you know, and they were accepting of the fact that I was there and accepted me like not only did the guys in the band accept me into the band but the fans accepted me into the band too and so yeah it worked out great yeah and yeah and maybe Nico, you know I'm saying the guys but I'm also including Nico in there okay okay so yeah right because you were her replacement uh to a degree and and so yeah that that's obviously important to get the nod from her yeah and so and we, when we sing together, so we're all in the band together, you know, when she's there, we sing together and, and the, the roles have morphed and changed. And so, you know, I'm not considered Nico's fill in anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like I have my own role in the band now, but at that time, yeah, I was like coming in as like a new, a new person, you know, kind of being the, the fill in. Just a question off the top of my head is that perhaps having a conversation like this, uh, maybe 40 years from now, somebody asking you about your experiences with the new pornographers, what event or period of time or album do you think that you'll look back on as being one of the most uh, memorable stories that you might tell in the future to somebody who's asking questions to you like I'm doing right now? I mean, I feel like the beginning you know, was particularly like the Twin Cinema and Challengers albums. Those two in particular were probably where I have the most mem specific memories from because they were so, it was such an intense kind of experience. Um, even though at the time, and sort of goes with my personality, I was rolling with the punches and you know like kind of trying to be trying to maintain a cool about it you know it was certainly there were a lot of experiences i was having for the first time you know like playing on david letterman you know playing on the late show so playing on like tv and we did a lot of like interesting tours around then we went to mexico city we were touring we went to japan and so, yeah, like those years with the band were maybe just like because they were the first years would would stand out probably. And this whole time, have you always been based out of Victoria? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I just stayed put. <laughs> you just stayed put. What is it that you love about Victoria? Well, I mean, it's just a really beautiful place. And all of my family and friends are here. And... Um, I love traveling, but I never felt I needed to necessarily move somewhere else. I didn't move away for school. I think there's like a few reasons why people kind of move away. Either they're like, get me the hell out of this town, you know, which is some people feel like that about Victoria for sure. And they, and they take off. I never felt like that. I never felt claustrophobic or particularly stifled or anything like that in Victoria. I always felt like it was comfortable and I had enough going on, I guess. So I appreciate its beauty and it's a very calming place to live depending on, you know, your circumstances, ob obviously. But for me, it was just like a, my home. And so I never felt like I needed to move anywhere else. And, you know, when my, I was in my early twenties, my mom, uh, got really sick with a uh, terminal illness. And so I was looking after her. So there was no moving, you know, like after I was kind of like 23, 24, I was like here with my mom and, and looking after, her, you know, helping look after her. And so I was, I was in Victoria and then, you know, then I'm 27 when she passes and, or maybe 28, I was maybe might've been 28. And then there was, you know, I can't, yeah. I can't explain it other than 
it was like part life circumstances that kept me here a part that I like have lots of like great community that I love here and my family and you know my friends and then yeah part that I just love Victoria I haven't found a place that I love more Fair enough. Um, first thing I just want to say is uh, I'm sorry about the passing of your mother. I know it was a while ago, but I think anytime we lose a parent, it's uh, it's pretty crushing. So uh, my, my condolences for that. Thank you. Um, and getting back to talking about Victoria as well, too. And that's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is to hear about your two years as the Victoria artist in resident. Just to let you know, a big part of the reason why I'm so curious about this is because uh, a good friend of mine, Luke, he was the previous one. Oh, right. Yeah. Luke Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah. And so through Facebook and seeing posts that he made, I got to see what happened. And then being in the city as well, too, and getting to see the art that he did with murals. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. So when I found out that you were the person who took over, I was like, oh, it's not exactly the same thing. The projects that you were working on where they're very visible in the community. And I thought, oh, this is going to be really interesting to hear her explain about what uh, projects you did and especially because it was during COVID but I'll let you pick it up from here how did that opportunity present itself to you and what was some of the work that you did well um, you know I actually heard about the artist in residence through Luke I'd been following his work as artist in residence through you know social media and when the new position came up he actually sent me a message and was like hey did you know about this you know, I think you could be really great. You should think about it. And I chatted with him a little bit about his experience and was like, okay, yeah, this seems really cool. And, and so I applied and got it. Like, I was like amazed, <laughs> you know, and it was the committee process. You know, I went in and did a group. It was a, a committee, the art and public places committee. I did a, yeah, an interview and they asked me a bunch of questions and and they they chose me, which was really nice. And it was um, such a wonderful experience. It was kind of crazy because, yeah, it was during COVID. And so, first of all, whenever you start a position like that, I think you have a lot of, like, you're kind of dreaming big anyway. You're like, okay, we could do this and we could do this and we can do this. So, my mind was going like a mile a minute all day, every day, trying to figure out what I could do, you know, and I had some ideas and then they kind of get uh, narrowed down as you sort of start to learn about city processes and, and what you can do because there are lots of sort of like uh, public art. Uh, it's not rules. That's not the, the word I'm looking for, but um, policy, got policy guidelines for things they just have over the years in place, guidelines in place for public art. So um, things like if I wanted to do an event and it was public art, it needs to be free. You know, you can't, no, no tickets, you know, which makes sense, right? It's public art. You can't charge for public art. Yeah. Right. But if you're doing a performance and yeah, it, and you're, anyway, it doesn't matter. This is all just a little bit um, too detailed, but, <laughs> but there were guidelines. And so I had to learn what they were. And learn about how the city works and learn what the projects were. And because I was in music and performance, the way I envisioned the role was as somebody who was engaging with community, like community art was how I, I saw it and doing my art in community and with community. So a lot of my projects involved performances. They involved bringing people into an experience. And because music is ephemeral like that that was like a big part of my plan and then covid happened and all gatherings were not permitted dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> totally and so i had to rethink all my plans for every project because you know for health and safety reasons which is fair and so i came up with, I, I was able to pivot. I had a lot of support from the folks at the city who were helping me with um, my projects and came up with a few different ways to deliver things that didn't involve gatherings. So that is where my projects ended up coming from. There were, at the very beginning, we had this really special project with the James Bay 
community school that I loved that was before COVID happened. And so we were able to get school students, grades one and two, connect them with seniors at the New Horizons Center in James Bay. And they had like this little art and music afternoon um, where the kids would come down from the school to the New Horizons Center and the seniors, seniors from the public who were like, you know, part of the center or like the, some of the grandparents of the kids came and or neighbors or people who knew the kids and the kids would talk to them. They would fill in these little sheets about, you know, things about your life, um, things that had changed, things that stayed the same over the years, you know, what kind of food do you like? Oh, I like ice cream. And like, oh, I also like ice cream. Or I like, you know, like that kind of stuff that's like kids. And they draw these little pictures and we did this sing along at the beginning. And it's hard to describe, but it was extremely heartwarming, this experience, because the kids were so excited to talk to these seniors. And the seniors were, of course, thrilled to be hanging out with these kids. And, and kids are so fun. And such a great perspective. And so we had this like one project <laughs> that worked out <laughs> where, where we could be in person and it's too bad that it got cut short, but that's how it is. Was that project meant to be an ongoing one that would happen regularly over the two years yeah. or? Well, it was, yeah, it was meant to, there was meant to be, you know, like a few of them. There was only, we might've done three and there was meant to be four. Um, and then I was taking some recordings and kind of like figuring out something that I could put together, but I hadn't really decided what that was going to be yet. I was, we it was mostly focused on the experience of the kids and the seniors together. So that we ended up with some, you know, like really cute recordings of songs by kids that I was able to use in another project. So there, that was the one, one project. And then. Well, the next project. We what? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, well, that's frustrating. That's frustrating. <laughs> no, that COVID came yeah, along right. and, <laughs> and like just so like, kind of, yeah, just wrecked all your plans. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, yeah. But the, the things that you did wind up doing because you had to pivot, like you say, and had to create other opportunities. One that stands out in my mind, I, when I read about this one, I just loved it. And that's Be Calm. Oh, yeah. Could you explain to people what that is? Yeah. So Be Calm is a phone line when it was like a toll-free number. It's no longer going, but um, it was a toll-free number that people could call um, and hear and select, you know, different options from one through nine. You hit the number and there were different categories of things you could hear. Poetry, you could hear music, you could hear one of them was children laughing. There was, that one was extremely cute. And it was intended as a way of kind of gathering audio because I'm, you know, a music person and into audio. It was a way of, I don't know, just collecting sounds and connecting community because at that time when that came out, people were terrified of COVID. Mm -hmm. It was a terrifying time. And the reason I picked the phone line was because I felt that um, it could reach, you know, like seniors in people who love to use the phone, the phone is a very common, like people know how to use the phone. Not everybody knows how to use the internet, you know, but we, we put it up there too on the internet because a lot of people do know how to use the internet and it's a more, you know, it's easier for some people than for others. And so, but the phone line, yeah, like for a number of reasons, it chose the phone line, but um, yeah, it was just a collection of sounds and I really wanted to make people feel better. That's all, you know, it's just like in a time that was scary and um, upsetting, there was a lot going on and I felt, okay, well, this could be a positive thing for the community, you know, if they, if people like it, basically. Yeah, totally. And, and so to have an opportunity like that, where you can just pick up the phone and have something to calm your nervous system, which is what yeah. we all really needed a lot uh, every day. It seems yes. like during the during certain periods of time, but uh, that that was such a, a great idea. Another one as well too is uh, is patched in multimedia. Looks like I thought that looked really really pretty with uh, the visuals. But uh, if you could explain to the listeners what uh, patched in was, yeah. So again, like motivated by there's a common thread here. I think of like kind of trying to make something peaceful, like make a peaceful place. And so what it, what patched in is, is there's an alley in Victoria 
called Limon Cowway, and it's across the street from Chinese Public School in Victoria, and it's off of Fisgard um, Street, and you walk from Fisgard, you go down this little alley, and you end up in Centennial Square in Victoria, just in case anybody, <laughs> you know, knows Victoria. But it's like a little alley, and on one side, there's a parkade wall, and on the other side, there's a building, an office building. And so on the parkade side wall, which was city property, we did a mural. And the mural was designed by um, an artist friend of mine, Megan Hildebrand, who is an incredible visual artist. I t told her the idea of um, that I wanted... Sorry, this is like, there's so many elements to this that I'm going to try and be coherent. And I apologize if it's, but if you're, if you're like, if I'm losing you, just tell me. And I'll no, no, keep, keep, go, keep going. So when COVID was happening in 2020, all of the traffic stopped, as we all remember. The planes stopped and I live out by the airport uh, and it was noticeably extremely quiet. And so I started going outside with no idea what this was going to be used for and recording bird song because I could hear the birds. And I was really struck by, you know, I hear the birds and I loved, and they were like this beautiful sound of birds. So I had this idea that when I was like pivoting and one of my other ideas was a sound installation, but it was a totally different idea. And so I was like, okay, well maybe I could take the idea of the sound installation it was going to be like a multi-speaker kind of thing. And maybe I could refocus it and, and base it around birdsong. So I reached out to my friend Megan and I was like, I don't know what this project is yet. I have these birdsong recordings. There's an alley in Victoria where I could do this project. It has these beautiful magnolia trees. I think it could be something around birds and birdsong. And she came back with the idea of a mural that looks like a quilt. And so it has all these like triangles in different colors it's extremely bright but not not like overly bright but it's just colorful and very beautiful and based around yeah like quilting and this idea of her her take on on why she chose quilting was because it's kind of like art done by women that doesn't necessarily get always treated as art because it's quilting yeah and she chose the colors to match the forest and like natural kind of habitats in if we're talking about birds. So the colors are colors you would find forest, flowers, trees, that kind of thing. It's colorful. It's a tree lined alley, you know. And then I had an idea to put speakers up above the mural and have it play bird song. But then I also wanted it to be a little bit um some of the issues with being an audio artist is that if you create a piece of music and you play it every day at the same time people who use that alley for commuting or for like are going to hear the same thing every day yeah. and it's going to drive people <laughs> and i yeah. did not want that no, you know, I was no. very like, I'm aware that when you are working in a store and you hear the same song at the same time of day, you know, you start to hate that song, you know, you're like, oh, or you love it forever, but <laughs> it could go either way. So yeah. I wanted something that was not going to always be the same song. And I wanted to do something that was my art, you know, music composition. I, I wanted to add my own actual art form into it. And so I took this idea of bird song. I looked up the local birds of the area. I found recordings of these birds and I translated those bird songs into musical melodies. Beautiful. And a lot of them, you know, I think there was something like if I did the sort of like 50 birds. And so they are in various speakers at various times. And there's underlying kind of like musical pads that pan all of this is panning to mimic kind of bird in flight you know that sort of idea they're panning from one part of side of the alley to the other side of the alley on one wall in a line and so the music moves and it's never the same and i was trying to make it it was a bit of a puzzle because if you have 
too many melodies, it all just starts to sound like kind of like a cacophonous same thing. So you have to have not too many melodies so that you can kind of pick out that it's changing and not too few so that it is not interesting. So there was like a little bit of like, anyway, working that out. So, and then twinkly lights in the trees for starlight, you know, kind of like this effect of just uh, twinkly nights. Lights are always beautiful. So. Always, always. <laughs> just a little extra thing. Yeah. And then the speakers, I just didn't want them like mounted on the walls. So they're in birdhouses, big boxes that, that are painted to match the mural. And then one of my favorite parts, um, there were a lot of favorite parts, but was that the Victoria Chinese Public School across the street actually painted the students painted birdhouses, wooden birdhouses, and we hung them in the trees. So when you're walking in the alley, there's the idea. It's not always playing because, again, I didn't want to, you know, make people too annoyed. But <laughs> there's the colorful mural, the colorful big birdhouses with the speakers. You hear the bird song, the actual birds recordings from my backyard. And then you also hear little bird melodies and you know, this kind of musical composition panning along the wall. And yeah, and then you're walking under these trees that have these colorful birdhouses painted by the students at the school. And if you're there at sunset, little twinkly lights. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know what I love about that is that the, the randomness of it, that uh, you can show up to take a look at this, but maybe you won't hear any sound and yes. you'll have to wait around. And I don't know, it kind of reminds me of trying to see the northern lights you can you can attempt to see the northern lights but there's no promise that you'll actually see them right so but i guess i guess if you stay around long enough music will play though that's what you're saying yeah like the music is in the evenings so if if you're around in the evenings then it should play and also if it's not playing i have a composition on my band camp page that I did that you could always access if you wanted to like kind of hear what the song sound sounds like. It's a 10 minute kind of like a little bit of a loop. And, you know, like I did, took a bit of a snapshot of, you know, like here's an example of kind of what this composition sounds like. It's not panning and it's not moving in the same way, but you get the idea of the sounds and the general kind of vibe. So I, I do have it available like when you're in the alley you can scan the little barcode, the QR code, and go to the Bandcamp page and hear the song on, you know, on your head headphones or whatever if you if you want to and, and look at the and look at the art. So, well, the next time I'm in Victoria, I'm totally gonna check that out. Sincerely, and actually, and if you could remind me and the listeners as well to uh, where exactly is that located again? It's off of Fisgard Street, and I can't remember the actual address, but it's um, the little alley. It's right across from the Chinese Public School. I'll I'll get the address and I'll put it at so the, the if you get the address for the Chinese Public School yeah. and then just walk across the street to the alley. It's like a little alley tucked in it's beside the parkade, between the parkade and an office building. Okay. I I will uh, let people know uh, at the end of the interview I'll find out the uh, the address and I'll let them know. But that sounds beautiful. That sounds amazing. I've seen pictures of it online, but um I think going to explore that and experience it in person would be amazing. And I I know we don't have too much time left. But I just wanted to ask uh, one last question about your experience as being the artist in residence. And that is, what did you learn about yourself from doing all the work that you did? So I learned that I love community art. <laughs> like, I love being in community and doing art projects with people. I think it is really fun and people are usually really quite game for doing things. And so I learned that I really enjoy enjoy that and it's a part of it's sort of yeah it's just something that i didn't really think about a ton until i you know started looking into this role that it's something that i love and love doing and hadn't really had a lot of opportunity necessarily to do it although i have done lots of community work in the past and have all really enjoyed it but i didn't put two and two together <laughs> as a theme that was something that i loved you know it was always part of these events that always felt really heartwarming and and they they usually community based like um i've done work in schools with choirs before and concerts and you know what i mean like that kind of thing and have always really enjoyed it but i would say i learned i learned that about myself and about how i view art and music as aside from like the career part of it i think so fundamental to our lives you know like the experience of 
listening to music and or like looking at art or it's such a fundamental human experience and so i love you know kind of bringing that out in communities and being part of being part of that well that's great thanks thanks for doing that thanks for taking the time and the effort and the energy and the work and the enthusiasm and the creativity that you did for two years and providing those experiences for people and i'm sure that there's a lot of lasting memories from all the work that you did so thank you for doing that oh gosh i mean hardly a thank you it was just like my such you know my pleasure and i i yeah i was i love it turns out <laughs> like i said <laughs> Fantastic. But anyway. Well, you have such a close relationship with the the city of Victoria and having had this position that we talked about, about being the artist in residence and that do you have anything that uh, you have on the horizon that you're you're working on that are going to incorporate some of the things that you learned during that time and um, then have community involvement again? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't have anything at the moment because I've kind of been on mat leave and you know, whatever that looks like for a freelance musician. But, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I have some tours with the band coming up in December. And so I've been focusing on that and other projects like music projects, like my band front person, we released a record this year and um, that had been like long awaited, you know, we put it on hold during COVID. And so it was done years ago and, you know, finally came out this year, but um, so that's mostly what I've been focusing on. And then, you know, of course, like being a mom and, but I do have things like ideas and we'll just see like where, where it goes. One of the things that I did learn, or at least that I feel like I solidified my idea about is, um, I really like things kind of unfolding. And so a lot of these projects started without me really having a very clear idea of what they were you know i just had these little bits of ideas that i pieced together with the help of you know other artists and things and my friends just kind of like as i went along and so there's definitely i, I feel like at this point in my life i like the the idea of not totally knowing like what's next but it will unfold as it will <laughs> and and so i have lots of ideas of things that are percolating and they're eventually going to come out in ways that i probably won't expect and they'll turn into something you know hopefully creative down the line but i don't know what they are yet <laughs> that's really lovely that's a beautiful answer I, I i love what you said there it's funny so often when i do this podcast i ask the question, how did that unfold for you? And I have to stop myself from using the word unfold because I, I love it so much. Because <laughs> it is. It's like this, like, it's like a surprise, you know, you're like, you're like, what's under this uh, folded piece of paper? I imagine it's like origami or something, the reverse origami where you're like unfolding it to see like, you know, or something anyway. But um, I know unfolding. Yeah. Exactly. And and the thing is, is that when people like you and anybody who does this podcast say yes, like a conversation unfolds and stories unfold and and uh, connection unfolds. Uh, and you see, I'm saying the word over and over again. But <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's so it's I'm so appreciative and grateful that people take the opportunity to share a bit about their lives and to be uh, vulnerable and open enough to share that with uh, myself and then the people who listen. So sincerely, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for sharing all the things you did. and. Yeah, all Thank the best. You very much. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a real pleasure to chat. And um, yeah, like I'm really happy we could do this and that it worked out and the power's on. And um, <laughs> Yeah, she's saying that because the power's been uh, cutting out on Pender Island uh, for, yeah. for numerous times over the last few days. And, yeah. and, uh, and I'm excited that it didn't. But uh, thank you again, Catherine. Have a good night. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much, Chris. All right. Well, wasn't that great? Catherine. Ah, I loved listening to her laughter during that interview. She's got a great laugh. That was really enjoyable to listen back to for me. And I sincerely hope you enjoyed that as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It really means a lot that people take time to listen to these interviews. And I truly believe that we are surrounded by so many fascinating stories because people are just that. They're fascinating. And when we take the time to be inquisitive and show some curiosity, we'll regularly be amazed at the life experiences that people have. 
If you're at all interested in hearing more episodes, there's a pretty extensive back catalog. And if you want to know the address for Patched In, like we talked about in the interview, it is 631 Fiskard Street, in between Douglas Street and Government Street, right in the heart of downtown Victoria. If you enjoyed what you heard, please think about sharing this interview on social media. And if you're interested in supporting this podcast, please consider purchasing a calendar by my wife, Geneva, which again, you can find a link in the description. Again, I'd like to say thank you to Catherine and thank you to Ben McConkie for providing the theme music for the show. And thank you for listening. Until next time.